Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our text today is Luke chapter 13, verse 11 through 13. It says, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Father, we thank you for your word. We give you glory. We ask you to touch our lives with it today. Let us leave this place different in a positive way than we are right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Everybody said amen. So when I look at this passage of scripture and when I think about what's going on in the world, there's two things that stand out to me, especially as it pertains to the deceitfulness that's happening in the world today. I just have to tell you that we need to be on guard, not in some physical way. I have no patience for that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that Self-defense is a bad thing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that shouldn't be the way the church is thinking. The way we should be thinking is, God, what do you have for us to do in this season, no matter what? And I, I think about the deception that is prevalent in the world today. When we have people who are gathering in the streets of major cities in our nation, affirming a lie from the beginning of this terrorist group, Hamas, and don't get it twisted, it's not just about Palestinians, it's about Hamas, and they're affirming Hamas, and they're saying they have every right to do what they've done, and I'm not going to get graphic and talk about all those things about the the babies that have been killed and the families that I'm not going to get into all the graphics of what that looks like, but here's what I am going to say. When we can set with with a conscience and say, this is a good thing and they deserve the right to do this, it should send bells off in everybody's mind and heart as to where we are in our national and social conscience. We have lied to ourselves to the degree about morality and about righteousness and justice that now we are doing exactly what Isaiah said that we would do, that there would come a time where people would call evil good and they would call good evil. And we, ladies and gentlemen, live in that day. We live in that time. In our vernacular today, we call it gaslighting. It's when someone who is guilty of something tries to make you feel guilty and make you think you're the one that's off and you're the one that's messed up and you're the one and they deceive you to the point that 
you're confused and you don't understand. And we have allowed this over a long period of time in our society and culture to where we've been, we've become accepting of certain deceits and confusions because it has been repetitively spoken over and over and over and over again. And now it's affecting us on a broad spectrum, not just about certain sins and certain ideologies, but now as a society, as a whole, that we would even be arguing over the fact that this is okay and this should be happening and Israel is bad and Palestinians are good when, when, when the truth is, I'm not going to get into any kind of political conversation, but the truth is from years, thousands and thousands of years ago, that has been the home for Israel. And they reclaimed it in 48 and God has blessed them with that. And that is a big component of what happens in the end. But we need to be careful that we don't realize the dangerous culture that we live in that says that, that lies are truth and truth are lies. I mean, people just telling lies and acting like it's true. Look you right in the face and lie to you and then lie to you again and 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 lie to you again until you get to the point where you're like, well, maybe that is true. I believe it was Hitler that said, if you want to shift culture, you want somebody to believe something, just keep saying it over and over and over and over again. Well, does that work? Well, I don't know. He convinced a whole lot of people to kill 6 million Jews. And he was half Jew. And short and dark headed. And he convinced a whole nation that the Aryan race was the superior race. They're looking at a model of exactly what he said isn't the best. In him, yet he convinced them that it was. Why? Because this is how the devil works. Are y'all with me? This is how he works. It's just a, con he hasn't changed. Listen, he hasn't changed his tactics. He's not come up with some new ideas and some new, it's the same as in the garden. He just lies and lies and lies. Do you know how Jesus described the enemy? He said this, he said, if he's talking, he's lying. Jesus said it this way, he's the father of lies and there's no truth in him. In, in other words, if he's saying anything, he's lying to you. And this is why people have been deceived. Even people in the church have been deceived about what God is up to and what's going on in the world and what's happening around us. We've been deceived because, I mean, a major, a major player in the, in the evangelical church has, has just accepted some things this last week and and going totally against what the word of God says. It's last month. And it's like, what is, what is happening? I tell you what's happening. The same liar that lied in the beginning is lying now. And he's convincing us to believe the lie. And so today I want to kind of help you to understand that, that we don't want people to believe the lies that are being told, not only in, in, in the history of what's going on in the world today, but we don't want them to believe the lies that are being perpetrated and told about God, the nature of God and who God is and what God wants. 
excellent argument I heard the other day as I was watching some academic uh, conversations. And uh, there was a man, he said, uh, uh, a person came to him and said, well, I just don't believe there's a God. And, you know, that's everyone's right. If you don't want to believe there's a God, that's the thing that's so awesome about God. He'll let you believe that if you want to believe it. Well, I don't believe there's a God. Why don't you believe there's a God? Because how could all this horrible stuff be happening in the world if there was a God? And he said, well, if you don't believe there's a God, then who's responsible for all this horrible stuff? And he said, well, we, that would be us. And he said, right. So humanity's responsible for all the horrible stuff. Is it possible there is a God and he's upset about it? Are y'all hearing me? Because our God is not hateful. God Jehovah, God Adonai, our God, Yahweh, the self-existent, self-sustaining God is not hateful. He's a judge and he's a pure and a holy judge. And his holiness is in contrast to our sinfulness is so extreme that the very, the very idea of us coming together is an impossibility. That's why he sent his son to pay the penalty and the price for our sins so that we could have relationship with him. He provided the solution. He provided for the way out. He created us to have fellowship with him. We totally blew it and became sinful. And as we became sinful, he already had a plan because he knew the propensity of free will. He said, I'm going to give them free will because I want them to worship me because they choose to worship me, not because I'm forcing them to worship me. And so he gave us the option and knowing the propensity of free will, Eve took the apple because she liked it. Adam took the apple. That, isn't that amazing how it, sin, temptation to sin hasn't changed either? Why did, why, why did, why, why did Eve eat the apple? Because it looked good. Go, go back and read it. It says, when she saw the apple, it looked good for eating. She liked the way it looked. And then all it took was for the serpent to come by and say, is that really what God said? See, what we've been rocked to sleep is with the nature of the enemy. Because we think the nature of the enemy is evil and you know this is uh, how many of y'all are sick and tired of seeing the horror stuff all over the television because it's october oh my god please somebody it's so funny to me how people say well, I, I just i'm i'm fearful well stop watching that stuff i mean why are you filling your mind full of that crazy horror and then go i'm so scared why well hello i can't stay in my house by myself why because I heard something outside, well, and you're relating that to something you saw, right? Yeah, yeah. We pray, God, free me from fear. But I want to watch that really bad. I'm not being legalistic. I'm just saying that sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Let me, I want to be free from fear, but let me scare myself. 
See, the devil, his nature is also different than what we realize. The devil's nature isn't, yes, he's evil. Yes, he's wicked. Yes, he could be scary to us if, you, if he wanted to show himself that way. But that's not how he shows himself. He showed himself to Eve. How did he show himself to Eve? Just a serpent. At that time, all the animals were tame. They had, re- they had connection with all these animals. They didn't they have no fear of the animals. They were in total and complete dominion over the animals. So the serpent, that, we don't think of a snake. They didn't think of a snake like we think of a snake. And all it took is him to come to her in that kind of blase way and just start asking questions. Is that really what God said? And I heard a theologian say this the other day, and I really liked it. In our day, the, the lie that the, the enemy is using, and this is the lie he's using on Christians. He said to Eve, is that what he said? But what he's saying to Christians today is, is that what he meant? We read the word, we listen to preaching of the word, we study the word, and then we come across scriptures that we don't necessarily like, or because of the influence of society on our life, we look at that scripture and we don't like it, we don't agree with it. And I love what uh, Francis Chan said. Francis Chan said this, if I come across a scripture that I don't agree with, I have to assume one thing, I'm wrong. Are you with me? And the devil's sitting over there in your ear going, is that what really what God meant? I used to have a pastor friend that would always say, now what God's trying to say here, I was like, stop saying that. God said what he said. Stop telling people what he's trying to say. He said what he said. If we don't like it, then the shift is on us, not on him. Are you with me? He is the objective standard. He is the objective truth. We've got to get this place of discernment where we're no longer listening to the lies of the devil. What did Paul say in Corinthians? He said the devil does not come in this oogie boogie spooky way. The devil comes as an angel of light. When the devil shows up in your life to tempt you, he's not coming at you like he's an evil monster. He's coming at you like something that looks good. That's right. It's good. That's good. And, and, and in your heart of hearts, in your conscience, in your Holy Spirit conviction, you know, no, that's not good. Because the Holy Spirit's in there saying, stop, 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 stop. Y'all know about the red light with the Holy Spirit, right? Just because you run it all the time doesn't mean it's still not red. <laughs> You think the city's got cameras. <laughs> Some of y'all didn't get that. Listen. The nature of God is to see us and care. To see us in love. Well, then why does all this bad stuff happen? Because of sin. Because of the enemy of our soul. And sin. And I want you to realize something about the enemy real quick. That's not what this message is about at all, but we're just going to go with it, okay? I, I want you to realize that the enemy is deceitful, but the Bible says he knows his time is short. 
And he hates God with a vengeance. So much so that he has deceived himself into believing he will win. At the end of all things, after the tribulation, after the millennial reign, God is going to release evil one last time to kind of call people out. And he's going to be able to convince some humans after they've spent a million years with a righteous God, he's going to be able to convince them, or a thousand years, he's going to be able to convince them that, that he can win and he can defeat God. And he's going to raise armies to do it. And then Jesus is going to light him up. But he's so deceitful that he deceives himself to thinking somehow he can win. And he knows his time is short. And he hates God. And almost as much as he hates God, he hates you. Because God created you to worship him. And that used to be the devil's job. And a lot of times because of the things we've read and because of Dante and his writings and his drawings and all of this stuff, we have these certain uh, uh, presuppositions that we make towards the enemy. And, and, and you hear people say things like, well, the devil can go back to hell where he came from. The devil didn't come from hell. The devil is the prince of the power of the air. How many of y'all think that the devil is the manager of hell? So many people act like that the devil is, is in charge of hell. And all of his demonic hordes are sitting around in hell making plans. And then that's how they attack us. And they're so organized. And, so, and they are. His kingdom is very constructed very organizationally. But he's not the manager of hell. The Bible is very clear that when all things are judged and all those who have rejected Christ are judged and all of the evil that is done is going to be taken out of hell and put into the lake of fire, the devil will be the one who is tormented the most in hell simply because hell was actually created for him. It's not like the devil's running hell and he's down there and everybody who rejects God's at hell and devil's the boss. That's not how this is. The, 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 the hell is this complete and utter separation from God for eternity, which will include the enemy of our soul who's done everything he can to try to destroy us and stop us and take our life from us. His very mission statement in John chapter 10, verse 10 is the thief, the devil, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So we as believers have to stop flirting with the things that he promotes. Listen to me. Listen to me very clearly. When we see that little fight and fuss that goes on, on the inside of us to be tempted to do wrong or to sin, you need to understand what's back of that. It's not a little bitty mess up. It's the devil trying to take your soul. It's the devil trying to steal your life from you. Some of you are like, this is getting weird, Pastor. L listen, it, it's not weird. It's the word. 
Maybe that's the problem. Maybe our discernment and the fact that we know the source from which things come, whether it's wicked or whether it's righteous, whether it's evil, whether it's good, maybe the reason that we're losing on that is because the very barometer that sets that for us and is that thing for us, is that powerful thing that keeps us on track and keeps us away from the things the devil is trying to tempt us to, is this right here? And to some of us, when when we hear someone talk about the realities of what's in here, it sounds like a foreign doctrine. And we've got to get to the place where we're in prayer and in the word to such a degree that immediately when temptation comes up, immediately when trials come, immediately when problems arise, immediately when there's family disruption, immediately when there's marriage disruption, immediately when there's temptation to go the own way, to believe a lie, to give in to the world and the spirit of the world. There should be something in us by the power of the Holy Spirit that causes the word to come up in us and to say, hold on just a minute. I know where that's from. That's not from God. When things that are very clearly in the word of God saying, this is the way you should go. This isn't the way you shouldn't go. And yet we're giving into some of those things simply because we are not in this book like we need to be. This is where our discernment comes from. Did you know there's something about the power of the Word of God. But even more than that, I want to tell you about the power of four. Now, I we call it the power of four because it's a research study that was done. And this research study tells me something that is so powerful um, that it will shock you when I read it to you. It is, it is this, I'm looking it up right now. It is, it is the idea of what happens to us when we truly decide I'm going to let the word of God guide and direct my life, or I'm going to get into the word and prayer and journal about my quiet time with God. Something unbelievable happens. What is it? What happens to us? Well, they did a research study that they ask first they ask 40,000 people and the, all the questions that they ask about uh, this they were questions about the word of god praying journaling and they asked 40,000 people about this and they got some real interesting questions and then they ask a larger sample now you you have to realize that if you've done any sampling of any research you know 40,000 is a huge number the numbers are usually like all these polls you hear about in political things those are numbers like 2,000 people or 2,500 people or at the most 4,000 people this was 40,000 people then they went and did the same research with 400,000 people from ages 8 to 80 in 25 different countries. And what they did is they asked them about their prayer life, their Bible study life, and about the Word of God and journaling the Word of God. And I just want to read to you, I want to read to you exactly what it does. This is amazing. So if a person comes to church and they hear the Word of God preached, and that's, that's their spiritual thing. 
their life will change a little. If they say, I'm going to engage with the word and prayer twice a week, their life, it's negligible, the change. If they say they're going to do it three times, it's still not much change. But there's something about four. And across the board in this research study, if people studied the word, prayed, and and journaled about it at least four times a week, some things begin to happen. You want me to share those things with you? Okay, here they are. 30% less. Hold on, let me see if I can get it to. Yeah, there we go. 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. 32% less likely to have anger issues. 40% less likely to have bitterness in relationships. This is is not some theory. This is not something made up. This is research that was done based on a huge sampling. 40% less likely to have bitterness. 57% less likely to have alcoholism. We got people who are struggling with drinking too much and having alcoholism, and we're sending them to every kind of thing and trying to get them help every kind of way, which there's nothing wrong with that. But the truth is, if we could just get them into the word of God and prayer at least four or five times a week, it would revolutionize their life. This is statistically proven. Listen to this one, 59% less likely to view pornography. 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant. 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. 74% less likely to gamble. (laughs) Yeah. 218% more likely to give financially to causes in addition to their church. 218%. Listen to this. 228% more likely to share their faith with others. 228% more likely to share their faith if they've been reading, praying, journaling four times a week. I'm up here preaching. Y'all need to share your faith. Y'all need to. You know what I'm going to preach from now on? Pick up your Bible. Pray and see. I say it all the time anyway. And you're like, man, that's all he ever says. That's all Christianity is to him. Just reading the Bible and prayer. Hello. You think this is enough? Really? I do my best to be a good communicator. I do my best to pray over God. What is your word for your people today? I do my best to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit and to make sure that I have a, an everyday communion time with God. If you think for a minute that you're a pastor, the only time I'm in the Bible is when I'm preparing a message or the only time I'm praying is when I'm praying for the, you got another thing coming. Every morning at 530 in my office, I go to pray and I pray and I read the word and I seek the face of God. Not for you, for me. I'm like Paul. I will not be one who beats against the wind. I don't want to be a person at the end of my purpose and goes, man, I wish that I had actually done it for real and actually accomplished something. No, no. I want to be a person who actually makes a difference. And the only way I can do that is because we do out of who we are. And we've got to build a relationship with God for ourselves. And it's not enough for you to come to church and hear me rail on about read the word of God. You've got to do this for you. And let me just give you one really hard statement to to, to take. If you don't do it, forget about your kids ever doing it. 
You want your kids to face what's coming to our world? It's time for a shift. Not in them, in you, in me. So listen, 218% more likely, 228% more likely to share your faith with others. Some of you are like, I just don't know how to do it. I just don't have the boldness. I just don't have this. Get into the word and prayer at least four or five times a week. And I guarantee you, it'll start coming out of you. 231% more likely to disciple others. You know, we're teaching on discipleship. I'm tempted to say, let's do this big thing. Let's do that event. Let's do that and get, get more people out for the event. But you know what? I'm tired of doing the events and getting a bunch of cultural Christians that aren't committed to Jesus. And they're coming to church and saying, oh, I'm doing my church thing, but they don't really know God and they won't read the word and they won't pray and they won't seek. We need to get a bunch of us who are committed to the face of God and study his word and pray to start talking to those people and saying, listen, there's more to following Jesus than just acting like you're part of the club. Come on, somebody. It's all of us. It's all of us. And don't, hey, and before you get too self-righteous about someone who might be like that, you were that way before and maybe right now. Yeah. <laughs> 407% more likely to memorize scripture, which the Bible tells us clearly to do. And 416% more likely to give financially to your church. Now, I love... I love what A.W. Tozer said about this. He said, whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, no matter how harmless it may appear to me. So that wasn't what this message today was supposed to be about, but that's what it is about now. <laughs> and here's the reason. Here's the reason. And, and I'm closing in just about uh, two minutes, two or three minutes. Here's the reason. Because, you know, the Bible calls me a pastor to be like a watchman on the wall. It talked about this in the Old Testament to prophets or to leaders in the nation. And here's what it said. It said that there's a watchman that sits on the wall. And you have to understand a lot of cities back then were walled. That's how they protected themselves. That's how they cared for themselves. That they kept all the good stuff in, kept all the bad stuff out. And so the cities were walled. And so there was a person who was called the watchman on the wall. And, and the watchman, here's what he would do. He would set up on the wall and his job was anytime danger was coming near to the city, the watchman's responsibility was to let everybody in the city know danger's coming, get ready, be prepared. And when this role was likened to spiritual leaders, here's what it said, and here's what God says to me as a pastor, and I take this very seriously. This is why I grieve over people who won't step up to another level in their spiritual walk or who won't take that next step in studying the word of God or praying or seeking his face or won't get into a small group or want to choose to do so many other things in life except pursue God the way they should. I don't get mad at people like that. You're not hurting me, but my heart grieves because we act as if 
There's no consequences to spiritual dullness or spiritual apathy or spiritual indifference. When clearly in Revelation to the church of Laodicea, Jesus said, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. I've, you make me want to vomit. That's basically what he said. So what we have to do is we have to get clear about what God wants for us. And that's why I'm saying what I'm saying today about this message because here's the thing. I'm the watchman on the wall for you at this point in your life. And God is telling me to tell people to stop playing. To all of you here in this room and those of you who are watching online, stop playing. If, if this, what's going on in our world today, isn't getting your attention, what in the world is it going to take to get your attention? Now you say, well, you're preaching to the choir. We're sitting here. I realize it. I realize it. But we're all in this boat. We're all in this boat, including your pastor, where there are places in my life that I need to say, God, I'm making that more important than you, clearly. And so I'm that watchman on the wall now. And here's what they said about the watchman. The watchman, if you're on that wall and you say to the people in the city, there's danger coming, there's danger coming, and they refuse to, to get prepared, well then whatever happens, their blood is on their hands because you did what you were supposed to do. But then he said to the watchman that sits on the wall that refuses to tell people danger's coming. Maybe the watchman's distracted. Maybe he's not paying attention. Maybe he's apathetic or lethargic himself. And he doesn't say, danger's coming, danger's coming, danger's coming. Here's what you need to do to get prepared. And whatever happens after that, he's held responsible. Now, I'm saying this to you because I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to let you know I'm not going to allow myself to be held responsible when I could tell you danger is coming. And today, I'm not telling you danger is coming. I'm saying danger is on your front door ringing the doorbell. So this ambiguous morality that you've, you're, you're struggling with, stop. This Habitual sinning that you think God doesn't care about? Stop. This lack of compassion for people who are lost? Stop. This judgmentalism and sacrilegious sanctimony that you walk around in that says other people aren't as good as you because they don't have the status in the community like you do? Stop. God is saying, turn around, church, turn around. He's saying, wake up, church, wake up. Romans 13, Paul's speaking to the church as I close. He said this, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us take off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light that we may be good and have the mind of Christ and walk in victory in God. This is the time. Now is the time. Listen. Consider me your alarm clock. Consider me your alarm clock. And I'm saying to you, wake up. Stop hitting the snooze. Wake up. Well, I got this and I got that. Stop hitting the snooze. Wake up. You're going to be late. 
And you know what? Being late in this particular narrative, not a good thing. Don't be, don't be one of the virgins running around trying to find oil for your lamp. Because the door's going to get shut and you're going to be outside. Come on, are y'all, are y'all hearing me? And you can say, Pastor, this is, this is harsh. No, it's not harsh. No, it's not harsh. Listen to me. This is not harsh. This is love. If your kids were about to do something dangerous that you knew were going to hurt them, what'd you say to them? Would you say, well, now listen, you might want to consider that this is not going to be a good thing. No, if your kid's about to jump off a cliff, you'd go snatch them up by the back of their neck. And you'd say, get, and if they said, you're being harsh, you'd say, shut up. <laughs> you're an idiot. Why are you trying to jump off a cliff? Do you hear what I'm saying? Your father, God, his character is not one of hate. His character is not one of anger and frustration towards you. Yeah, he sent his son to die because he hates you. Right. No. Jesus walking down the street. Woman who had been bent over for years. She had been uh, uh, totally oppressed by a spirit, a spiritual entity, a spirit of infirmity. That she literally was bent over. She couldn't walk up straight. She's bent over like this. Couldn't walk up straight. And been that way for years. She, she precariously and interestingly didn't ask Jesus to help. You see all these other stories where Jesus, help me Jesus, help me Jesus. I'm blind, I can't see Jesus. My son's dead, I can't, I can't raise him. Jesus, you raise him. God, I've got leprosy. If, if you want to, you can make me well. Nope, she didn't even ask. The Bible says Jesus saw her. She'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward. And he said, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up. You see, the corrections that need to be made in our lives, they can happen immediately. But there has to be an engagement with Jesus. And Jesus has given us this process. He's given us this process. He's given us this transformative process. And his heart is not that we would believe a lie, not that we would go along with the crowd, not that we would listen to just because one of our loved ones or friends is struggling with this type of sin or that type of sin. And now all of a sudden, I've got a friend that's an alcoholic. So, well, does really, is the Bible really say, I got a friend that's abusive and well, you know, God, did he really mean, I got a friend struggling with homosexuality. Did God really say, I got a friend that's involved in transgenderism. I would dare to say that most people in the church don't even realize that the Apostle Paul actually dealt with that. He actually writes about it. And our goal here as a church is not to hate or not to belittle or not to look down our self-righteous noses. 
but to say, I've been bound by sin, but I met somebody who took that out of my life and he changed me and he put me on a path that leads me to righteousness and every day I'm getting closer to him and every day I sense his presence and his love and every day he helps me break through problems and issues in my life and as I'm on that journey I'm not going to stop to believe what the world is saying I'm not going to stop to believe the lies that are being told I'm just going to believe my Savior and I'm going to love everybody and I'm going to care for everybody and I'm going to compassionately reach out to them. Why? Because He saw me. And if He saw me, then I will do my best to see them. Not as something bent over and disgusting and deformed but see them as dead and they need life. To see them as broken and they need to be fixed. To see them as hurting and they need to be whole. And I met him and if he did that for me, if he saw me, doesn't he see them? And I'm just telling you church, where we're at in history, there shouldn't be an empty seat in this building. I'm not blaming you for this. I'm not, don't, don't, don't misinterpret. I just want to, I don't want you to hear me. There shouldn't be an empty seat. Matter of fact, we should have out of that closet, we should have to take every single chair out of that room. We should have to buy more chairs. We should have to add more services. We should have to do whatever we can. And that's the season we're living in, but the church has got to wake up and realize that's the season we're living in. And I don't want us to wake up later after it's gotten worse and go, oh, I wish we had. No, no, we will not be that person, right? We'll not be that person that will allow our little bit of intimidation to talk to our neighbor to keep them out of hell, to keep them into heaven. Come on, are you with me? Are you listening to me? I, I will disciple someone. Why? Because the word's in me. I want to get it in them. I will disciple someone because I've been forgiven and set free and I want them to be forgiven and set free. Really, honestly, if we don't move in this way of discipleship, what we're really saying is, I just don't care. And that may be where you're at today. That may be where you're at today. But I'm just telling you as a believer in the season that we're living in, you cannot afford to be in that place. So if you're in that place, you need to shake that off and wake up. Amen. And he just starts saying, God has given me victory. I'm going to give it to somebody else. Because we are living in times that tell us unequivocally we're running out of time. And time is, by the way, our greatest commodity. Amen. Now, I love you guys. Stand with me. And I hope you didn't hear <laughs> today. I'm not apologizing for anything I said or the way I said it. But I, I hope from your perspective, you didn't hear the harsh ramblings of a mad pastor. But I hope you heard from your perspective a watchman that is seeking the face of God himself that is in tune with where we're at in the times, that is trying his best to do the will of God and standing on that wall and saying, guys, come on, come on. 
wake up. I want you to hear me when I say this. Have you ever had that dream? And I'm closing. Have you ever had that dream where you're in, uh, 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 somebody's chasing you and you need to be really fast, but you can't do anything but move in slow motion? Have you ever had that dream? Have you ever had that dream? <laughs> it's like, come on, come on, go run. And you're like, and they're just gaining on you. Well, let me just tell you something. In the church world today, in the life of the church across the globe, that's how pastors are feeling. They're on the wall saying, come on, wake up. And people are looking us right in the face and saying, I know, I know this needs to change. I know I need to make God more of a priority. I know I need the word, word more. I know I need to be in a small group. And, we, and everybody's saying it. Everybody's saying it. But it feels like you're looking down in the city and everybody knows they need to run but they just won't do it. The next time you think and you say something to somebody, well, I wish we could do that, but you know, I've got, you need to stop and go, wait a minute. Do I really understand the times? Next time you're prompted to talk to somebody about God in the grocery store or at your house or in your neighborhood or at a business meeting or whatever like that, and the Holy Spirit prompts you in that way and you go man I need to do this and then you don't you need to see yourself as dangers at the door yet you're just standing there and listen let me tell you something the victory of God the power of God the anointing of God is just waiting on one thing it's just waiting on one thing a step of action that's it and you obey him and a whole new world is going to open up I'm not discouraged. I'm excited because God is about to do his thing. And I don't know about you. I'm going to be part of it. Amen. Amen. Come on. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Yeah. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church Podcast.